Hello and welcome to another episode of Podcasters Unleashed. We are back with our weekly live stream, Real Podcasters and Real Talk. I'm your host this week. I'm Carla and I'm joined by the rest of the lovely Podcasters Unleashed team. We're going to discuss later on, does your childhood define you? But before we do that, I just want to give everybody a chance to introduce themselves. Simon. Hi, I'm Simon Rushton, uh, host of Africa Investor Stories. If you want to know about investing in Africa or hear real life experiences from real people who've invested in Africa, check us out on YouTube, Spotify and all the other big platforms. Nelson. We've also got Nelson. Hi, everyone. This is Nelson, Nelson J. Zambrano at Investing in America. We talk about two topics. One, how to invest in U.S. real estate and have interesting talk stories from real life entrepreneurs. Thank you. And Victor. Yeah, hi, everyone. <clears throat> yes, I'm Victor. Sio. I'm the host of the Diaspora Entrepreneurs podcast. And we talk about how to get from the nine to five to living the lifestyle that you want. So we speak to people who are doing it and who are on their way to like achieve that. And Howler. So I'm the host of the podcast, Women and Stories, where I share real stories from real women who rose above different challenges, especially in Paris, and who are creating new businesses. So stay tuned. And we're also joined by Matilda, who's not feeling very well this week, but in the true spirit of a real podcaster, she's joined us anyway. Matilda? Hello. She's on mute. I think. <laughs> so hello everyone. I'm Matilda, host of Coffee with Matilda, a journey to self. And I am joining you guys with COVID, but you know, I'm with you guys. So I'm excited about today's topic. It's my lineup. Yeah, and we appreciate you being here, Matilda, despite um, coming down with COVID, and we want you to get well soon. And hopefully this episode will help you to get better, because we always have a lot of fun on here. Okay, so I'm also the host of the Wonder and Wellbeing podcast, which is a podcast for parents and children of um, parents and teachers of children between the ages of five and 14 years old. So this week's episode, when we're asking, does your childhood define you, is definitely a topic for me. Um, I'm going to really be interested in what we're going to discuss tonight. And to kick us off, I just want to talk a little bit about, um, it's well known that whatever happens in your childhood does have an impact on how you grow up. And um, the Greek philosopher Aristotle is credited as having said that if you give him a child until seven years old, he will show you the man. And this is a phrase that is is common in all um backgrounds or countries we hear these kind of parables and phrases where people talk about the importance of childhood so just to kick us off um tonight i just want to ask uh, victor would you say that your childhood defines you yeah right. thank you carla yes i would say yes and no because um it did define me to some extent whereby i was um I was a little bit, say, I was a little bit shy and uh, a little bit introverted. I went to boarding house. When I went to boarding house, everything changed. So I'll say yes to some extent and no. Okay. And uh, Matilda, what would you say? I think Matilda might have some connection issues. All right, Howler, we'll go over to you while we wait for Matilda to come back in. Unmute yourself, Howler. Childhood is an important for our lives. I think that um, our experiences in as children could affect uh, our adulthood and our lives. So 
a lot of things that people gone through trauma or uh, some bad experiences or some good experiences it could affect them uh, in their love life in their work in 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 everything in their life so yeah i feel child is an important important thing that 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 could that could affect our our entire life okay simon do you agree with that i think everything is every experience we have in life affects us um obviously so that covers all of us but also if we're going to specialize or focus on children yeah it does without a doubt but on a positive note it's more of a case of can we make the experiences benefit us because you've got bad experience like i, I said before uh, most of you know i come from children's home i've been in children's home since six months so i've met many people who've had bad or hard upbringings and if i usually tell people like i've been in children's homes for six months they automatically go oh but then i would argue that i'm a lot stronger than the average person who's been brought up in a ideal family and um i don't think i would change that for anything and the people i've met in life um i've seen some of them come out tremendously strong after they've had major issues from their father killing their, everybody in their whole family and trying to kill them or major sexual abuse and things like that. And I've seen them just, you know, it's a demon that's in them. That it's a, it's a sad thing, but they've made it strong. But then on the flip side, you can also look at um, if your parent was an athlete and your dad pushed you to be in sports, then, you know, you're the next Maradona or Pelé or Ronaldo. So that's something that's experienced that has shaped you to who you are today or just to, just the fact of being drilled in fitness in general, using that as an example, um, that's a real positive thing, but it has shaped you. Um, that, and then if we look at the war side of things, we have the trauma of child soldiers. You know, you give a five-year-old a Kleshnikov, he learned to be a killer at a very young age and his attitude to life is if i have a problem if i kill it it's not a problem anymore there was a, a famous saying where a norwegian ngo was speaking to a child soldier in, in africa and he was saying asking what is what is norway i think it's even norway or sweden like and a man said well we do have some crime and some problems and things like that and um and he said really he said how many of them he said about four or five hundred people who cause a lot of problems in our society he said just get me a plane ticket and i will remove that problem within a week that's his that's his upbringing now some people say it's a negative thing i think if you clean it up that's quite a good thing <laughs> but um you know what i'm saying is it you know, you can take your negative and make it positive. You know, he yeah in that respect. Yeah, and we're. I want to talk a bit more about that later on. Um, so I'll come back to you on that, Simon. Um, Matilda, does your childhood define you? Yes or no? What would you say? I think, I think um, your childhood defines you hundred percent because we um, till seven years old, your subconscious mind is like a sponge. You see, feel whatever is around you. And 98% um, of what we do right now, it's uh, controlled by our subconscious mind. I mean, you can go and learn. I mean, there are lots of studies has done. Freud has done this. Jung has done this. So how can your childhood doesn't affect you? Childhood gives you a, um, your glasses, how you look at life. Now, maybe it can be a negative thing, and then later on, when you're wiser and you're adult, you should go to a therapy and fix certain things in you because it affects you in a negative way. But um, I want to mention something about what Simon is saying. I don't think it's the overall concept of how your childhood was. Is the effect, it's how the child is affected. You can have a very lovely and loving family and one day your dad says, oh, you don't understand anything. And this child will think till end of his life 
that oh he doesn't know a lot of things and he has he will have a low self-esteem so it's a matter of i think how this child is affected in that moment not necessarily the events you can you can grow up in a very poor family but maybe if there's always laughter if there's every everyone singing and loving each other and your parents are not showing there's a secrecy there then maybe this child won't even be affected by it wouldn't be affected by what's really going on so i think it's uh how the child gets um trauma out of certain life events but definitely your your childhood your life is based on your childhood how you do and what you do in life is based on your childhood okay thank you for that and, so, and, now, and by the way what would you say well well what i would say is first of all we had alex masha just uh, came in up on the net and he said that's wonderful what uh, matilda was just talking about uh as how as what she was looking at things so uh, a comment from coming in from the audience. That's Masha. And um, Carla, if you could just repeat That's the your question just to make sure. You. So just as an intro, what would you say? What would be your initial reaction to that? Mm, I, I don't know if the word define is uh, a complete one, but it definitely does influence you, you know, uh, as far as the childhood. It has a, it has a big impact. Um, because a lot of that would be interpretation, kind of like what Matilda was saying. Um, but to kind of take that even one step farther along, um, I mean, you can have a life experience as a kid and one have one reaction on you because it gets imprinted, just like Matilda was talking about, it gets imprinted on that, on that fertile mind. And then uh, another uh, same experience could happen to someone else and it could be the opposite reaction. So, um, so yeah, it does. It's just a question of which way um, does it start the process of defining you? Yeah, absolutely. And and I and I love what Matilda said there. She had um, a great contribution in terms of of how the brain is shaped in the early years. Because as a teacher and a parent, I would say that that is definitely true. Um, children's brains are designed to take in information. Um, that's just how they're programmed. And so what happens in the early years, particularly in the first three years of life, um, is where you get that imprinting on the subconscious mind that Matilda was talking about. And the longer that goes on, whatever type of programming that is that the child is experiencing through their, their experiences with their parents or their early caregivers, the longer they're exposed to those things, the deeper the imprint is going to be. And so when Matilda talked about later, maybe them having issues that they need to seek therapy for, I think that now we're starting to realize more and more in, in the modern times about the impact of childhood and the importance of reprogramming yourself if you want to achieve something different. Um, and I know Simon touched on that. And also I want to ask Howler a little bit about it and also a little bit about personality and how personality determines how you can overcome some of the things that maybe were not ideal in your childhood experiences because one thing I know as a teacher and a parent is that there are no ideal childhoods so no matter out there who thinks that they've got the perfect environment for a child or they're giving a child a perfect experience there is no such thing so Howler can you talk a little bit about what you think about that and about personality the role of personality and um, shaping children and in the people you become yeah actually it's interesting you asked me this question because i was reading a book called quiet in a world that can't stop talking by susan kane and she was literally explaining the personalities and how introvert and extrovert have different traits and it essentially come down to energy um, and for example, extrovert, extroverted people could um, uh, have their uh, energy from social interactions, while introvert, they need quiet space to recharge. And I remember when I was a kid, and I was really hating uh, family gathering. And when my father or someone said, can you sing a song? Can you say that in French or in English? I was like, get the hell out of here. I don't want to say anything, you know, because I wanted to be at my own uh, space, you know, doing something else. Um, it doesn't mean that I want to be by my own all the time. It's just there are some times that I really wanted to be alone and to be creative and to be really by my own. And I think 
today's society, they are really uh, playing favorites, like even in school. I mean, the way that uh, school entertainments are um, fa doing favorites, like, yeah, extrovert, they, they, they show themselves more, they raise their hand, they interact with the school, they interact with the teacher, they interact with their uh, school, with their, um, with the other kids. But even if the introverts, they don't have these qualities, uh, a lot of studies show that introvert kids they are very uh, creative. They can be um, uh, have a great and uh, powerful imagination, and also they can have a really great. Um, how can I say that? Really great uh, observers and listeners, and they analyze things better. So I think that um, even if children could be very different, the extrovert and introvert children, we should have space for both. And uh, as Susan Cain said, is that uh, solitude is the is the air that we breathe. Is something that introvert needs to to recharge and to to bring more great things to the world. So definitely, uh, personality types is very interesting to to know, and it's very good thing to to know the children personalities first place. Yeah, that's really good. And thank you for mentioning that book. So um, the book was uh, Quiet, right? It's called Quiet by mm -hmm. Susan Cain. Um, and you reminded me actually as well of, of two other really um, interesting pieces of research that back up what you're talking about. And there's the work by a lady called Carol Dweck, who looks at growth versus fixed mindset and the role mm -hmm. that that plays in when you get these experiences that come at you that you can't control how you can then shape them like simon was saying to use them to your advent advantage by developing what's called a growth mindset and then there's also the work of a lady called rita duckworth who looks at um, a characteristic a human trait called grit which has been proven to be one of the traits that help people to overcome adversity and the more grit a person has um, the more they're able to fight through things that other people would probably look at and say well that should define you and it should make you have this particular outcome actually when you have lots of grit it's shown that you don't and there are lots of studies actually um so i just want to jump back to simon for him to talk a little bit more about um how he thinks that he might have overcome certain things in his childhood and then i want to go over to victor who's got quite an interesting childhood experience that i want to um, bring into the conversation um, because one of the other things that are, is said to affect childhood quite significantly is where you are in terms of where you're born in your family. So if you're the middle child, for example, um, and Victor, I'm not sure where you are, but we we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> okay. So Simon, what characteristics do you think helped you to overcome any adversity that you experienced? I don't think it's about overcoming. I just see life as generally you do what you're meant to do to get by. And regardless of your experience, regardless of your experience, whether um, it's good or bad, you, you just, excuse me, you, you just make the most of what you need to. And I, I'll give you an example. That guy who said he'd go and clean up Sweden he was just taking his experience and making it to an advantage on the basis that he could get to stay there once he cleaned it up, prime example. So regardless of whether you've had a bad thing or a good thing, um, it's a bit like I have friends who, oh, well, not friends, people from school days who were mistreated when, we was in, when they were in children's home by their parents, and their idea was, what well, I'm going to be the perfect parent. Do you see what I mean? So I just see it in that same light that that's what you do and that's how you move forward. Um, yeah, and that's how you move forward. Okay, thank you for that, Simon. Victor, tell us about your childhood and what kind of experiences in your childhood um, shaped you. Yeah, my, my childhood was very, very interesting because I am the number six, 26th 
my 26th child of my father. <clears throat> I'm the first from my mom. So we had so much, uh, so much to play. We see we there was so much fun in our house most of the time because we are so we are so many and we live in, in we, we live in one big compound. So growing up from my primary school years, uh, my formative years, I used to um, I mostly join my mom going to the going to our shop or my dad going to his business place. So yes, that's why I said yes to some extent because that is why I have these um, entrepreneurial traits whereby I usually see opportunities to just to venture into. So I would say yes, it really it affected not affected, but it defined some aspects of my life. Whereby I can I went to also I went to a boarding house. So I can also flip from being a charity person to someone who can stay on his own. I can be on my own. I'm cool with that. So even within a big within a big family context like mine, we still have friends within the family. I still have friends within my family and people I don't really like um interact with that much. But yes, as I'm not a middle child, but I'll say in the bigger context, I am I was I am a middle child and it was good sometimes, but most of the time within <clears throat> Within the big family, within the big family structure, we still have some lonely. Uh, I still have some lonely period where I just go on and stay by myself, being an introvert sometimes, and I can still switch to become this um, this chatty person. And regarding what Simon was saying, you see, I just I don't know if I can ask a question, but look at this scenario. There's this there's this dad who is the drunkard, alcoholic, substance abuser has two kids. He goes out back every night and gets stoned, get get drunk. So now one of the child sees this as a cue to never touch any intoxicating substance anymore because he doesn't like the way his father behaves when he comes back home. And the other the other child sees this as okay, I really like this. So when they grow up, one decides to abstain completely from alcohol and the other one went in. So how would that, how, how does that scenario play out? I just want to drop this out there. Yeah, I, I think at the moment, one I've I've read and heard a lot of stuff about this actually, um, as a as a teacher of kids with special needs, and I would say one of the best uh, researchers I've ever read or heard is Gabor Mate, and Gabor Mate talks about um, how addiction is caused by a lack of human connection and it's just so simple it's such a simple explanation when you hear about it but when you dig a little bit more into his books and his explanation for it you realize that it is that simple um, and I think that some people just find it easier maybe because of personality or because of other characteristics to find a human connection and sometimes when that human connection is strong enough it can help them to counter the effects even if it's somebody like a parent who's very close to a child that's causing that trauma or is giving them that example, if they've got someone else that they can form a connection with or something that matters enough to them for them to feel connected, then they can fight against um, you know, those kind of influences. So I think that was a really good thing to throw out there. And I don't know if later maybe Simon or someone else could add more to that, but um, I agree with you, absolutely. Um, I want to jump over to Matilda because Matilda was an only child and I just want to talk about um, how growing up as an only child um, impacted or shaped her. I think, I mean, I love to be an only child. I know having a brother and sister is very lovely, but it's like, you know how ice cream is amazing, but you never had a taste of ice cream. So you really don't know what it is and you never miss it. It's not like I miss, I feel like I'm missing out something in my life because I never even tasted it, what it is to miss out. And I think um, it's one thing that actually it's important. It's interesting that you're bringing this concept that you're trying to shaping your attitude towards life. I think I look at life as a only child and 
what I, and I met a couple of only children, and I see what's in common. One thing that is very common in, in it, and I think it's very easy to, um, to have, is you love yourself no matter what. You love yourself and you count on yourself. Because, for example, when you are a child and you have uh, not everything you tell your parents, certain things you keep it inside as a secret and you tell it maybe to your brother and sister. But when you're an only child, you just need to keep it yourself and you need to solve that problem within yourself. So I think the only children become much more independent in life. And they, they have a very good connection with themselves because they only have themselves. They are very used to spending time alone. I'm very much, I mean, for me, it's very natural to go to restaurants alone, to go to, an, I don't know, even opera alone. Anything in life alone, travel alone, it's not a problem because it's my comfort zone. But to jump in on that, Matilda, um, there's many people who have large families and you become very responsible because you'll end up looking after your younger siblings. And even if no, you're in the middle, yeah. So what I'd say to that is, yeah, your experience is, is interesting to hear because I've never known anybody in the family to have one child. Um, but <laughs> so if we just come from a large family, we're not we're not punching um, uh, Victor's weight, but we're 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 not far behind. <laughs> but you know, Simon, something very interesting that you're saying right now. I think as an only child, you don't learn how to deal with problems. For example, when you have a brother sister, you're three old, you're three, and I don't know, your brother comes and sits on your seat. Now you have a problem, but you learn how to resolve that problem as a three-year-old. You learn it. But when you're an only child, you don't learn how to deal with problems in life. And, um, and I think if they don't give that only child a social life, have a, you know, if they don't take this child to different events, to have different, to, to become friends with different people, that child doesn't learn certain life skills that you might learn it in your home because you're learning it with your brother and sister. And that's life. Just your brother sitting in your seat, it's a life problem because, you know, later on when you're 20, somebody comes and does something that you don't want them to do, but you've already develop the techniques to resolve it. So I think that's lacking in an only child's life. Yeah, so what you're saying there is basically when a child is an only child, the parents need to be more conscious to expose them yeah. to realistic social opportunities that are going to help them to develop those personality traits to get along with other people. Mm -hmm. And actually, I've seen this as a teacher also. I've had children in my class who are only children and they require a lot more effort in order to get them to contribute and to participate with group activities, for example, or to just understand other people's needs. So thank you for mentioning that, Matilda, from your experience. That's a great insight. Just to jump in there, Carla. Well, well but uh, no, hey, hey, go, go right ahead, Simon. I'm right behind you. And by the way, we have a comment here, Nathaniel Mitchell. That's a good point, talking about what Matilda's talking okay. about. Um, All right, Simon. It's interesting what Matilda says, because when she's been in the one... I did an interview the other day with a Chinese guy, and he was talking... He basically offloaded. Um, when they get in a taxi, they just people just offload. It's like a psychiatrist seat. And he was saying he would never have one child. He said the pressure is on that one child, because he's got two sets of grandparents to... Uh, well, he's got four sets um, to, to look out for because you look out for your elders. On top of that, you've got your parents. And then you've got to call all of them every day. You've got to show them interest. You've got to be the best that you can be. Uh, you know, any issue, anything, you're, you're the go-to person because there's nobody else. He said, it's just unbelievable. And he said, talking about being selfish, he said when he came to England and he spent time in America, well, he said... He really believes everything surrounded around him. And he said it took him four years to understand he needs to consider be considerate to other people. Because as an only child, he was spoiled by four sets of grandparents. Do you see what I mean? So that's eight people idolizing you, barring your parents. That's 10 adults. You know, you can't do anything wrong. 
it's and very it's, it's just, yeah so it explains a lot but there are, um, <laughs> there are things, there are things that i remember but as a child i would think that i wish i had a lot of brothers and sisters so my parents wouldn't even notice that i'm home or not because any mistake is a big mistake any achievement is a big achievement too so everything is you're in a zoom uh, and everyone's focused on you if you're under a microscope yeah so it's kind of it has the good side and has the bad side too so and yeah and i remember when we were growing up we were three and we used to blame each other for things so i guess for you you had nobody to blame matilda as well so that's a it's one of the downsides as well we had a no it was him and then it was no it was her and and even my kids did the same <clears throat> Yeah. Um, okay. One point that out was really interesting is that um, when you do have lots of siblings, you do learn by trial and error. Your bigger mm -hmm. brother takes your sweets or your sausages at the meal time. You're gonna have a fight, or you learn to eat like this. Yeah, with the fork ready to stab him. Yeah. You try being in a children's home with 35 kids. You learned. <laughs> you learn if you're one of the small ones. You learn to eat quickly. Yeah, don't worry about indigestion. You can sort that out later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've got we've got a question for Howler actually from the audience. Um, Liam Barkley is asking, does Howler have any brothers and sisters? Yeah, I actually have. I have two sisters and one brother, and I was the uh, youngest one, and I was loving it because they were not uh, overprotective and they were not really aware of what I'm doing. So <laughs> we had like a big family. So I was, I had the freedom to go and do mistakes and go outside and play in the, in outside and, and, and do some mistakes and, you know, and hide it from my parents. And they would never figure out what I'm doing outside. So I really loved my, my childhood because I was doing mistakes and learning from them without Really yeah, anyone, and I know. So. I know, Howler. You've got some stuff That's to say about point. play and the importance of play in childhood. So we're going to come back to that in just a second. But I want to um, just ask Nelson about um, any childhood experiences that he had um, that he feels shaped um, him as a person. Um, things that stuck with him. Yeah, you know what? But I'll, I'll go into that in a second. But uh, but before talking about the about being a lonely you know only kid so i i had both experiences so so for that time from you know time i was born into age six because my brother and i were all spaced six years apart uh, and then my sister so you know life kind of revolved i guess you could say in a way around me um but when you're the son of immigrants in another country there's always something to do right you know, that there's always uh, uh, parents are in survival mode, uh, trying to make a living, uh, new language, new culture, new weather, everything. So, um, you know, for me, getting my brother and sister uh, in a way was almost like a blessing in disguise. Why? Because I had, I mean, I was old enough that they were my brother and sister, but I was also old enough where I was like in charge, okay? Um, so I could say like time to go to sleep and they'd go to sleep and, uh, and uh, up until a certain point and then we had kind of like a, a little revolt in the house and I had to kind of like put it down, so to speak. So, um, but that really helped with uh, responsibility, being responsible, uh, made me very, very, very protective of my family uh, on that. And, um, and then as far as childhood experiences, um, yeah, I, I mean, there were things that you would happen or you would see and you would say, wow, I want that for me or I do not want that for me. Um, you know, for me growing up, I, I really, believe it or not, I really enjoyed these James Bond movies um, because they exposed me to a life that I was not normally exposed to. And I said, wow, you know, somebody's got to live that way. And I really want to live that way. Um, uh, and that would be all of us, you know, that was uh, a, a way for us to get a different kind of exposure. Um, so that was, uh, that was big. The, um, you know, something is funny, my brother, he didn't, he, he spoke to, he didn't speak to me too much about this, but I know he spoke this about his, uh, to his wife. He talked about how he, when you're a, like, I grew up 
was a kid, I, I went to a great, a private school in South America, very elite, prestigious. You know, today it would be like, almost like the, the remnants of the British Empire, right? It was a US school. We only flew the US flag in the school, even though it was overseas in Colombia. We only uh, celebrated US holidays. You spoke English there. And the, oh, and we have a comment by here, Nathaniel Mitchell. I do think perspectives is different depending on if the eldest, middle, or youngest, though. And that's very true. So talking about that perspective, for for me growing up overseas was like I was like this kind of privileged kid, right? Uh, overseas. And then when I came to the US or back to the US, uh, it was a school in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, not that, you know, privileged, you know, special things. Um, so I, I could see the difference there in life and in the things in life and how you were treated and the things you had access to. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely I said, you know, I want to be on that side of the tracks. You know, I enjoy being over there. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, Nelson, all about how what children see can help them to make choices later about what they do and don't want in their life. That's another thing that is often overlooked. I think there's too much emphasis on the actual experiences rather than on the fact that it can give people options. And I think it's good for kids also to see things that are maybe not ideal. Of course, I'm not talking about extreme trauma and things like that. We want to protect kids from that. But at the same time, we don't want them to have these kind of perfect views of the world um, and a lack of understanding of how it might be elsewhere and how important it is to make certain choices. So I think that's really a good point. Um, and Nathaniel said that the perspective um, is different depending on eldest, middle or, or youngest child. And I know you agree with that. I would as well. I was an eldest in our family and um, I was the eldest without a mother. We grew up with just a dad and that definitely shaped how I was. I was very responsible um, or expected to be responsible as the eldest girl um, in a family led by a father. Um, and for a long time, I was very serious. So uh, most people who knew me when I was a child would say she never smiled um, because I was just very responsible. Um, maybe too responsible and maybe too serious, but I think that was just my experience and my, like Howla was talking about personality, being an introvert with two extrovert siblings was quite a challenge as well because sometimes I would be put in charge of them, but I had no idea how to control them <laughs> because my personality and their personality were very different. So that was that's also in support of what Nathaniel's saying. Um, Howla, what do you think the role of play is? Because I know you had some things to say about this and some quite interesting insights actually i want to talk to everybody about this and their experiences of playing as a child because i still think that's really important howler jump in uh, really i had the chance because um in my family there was a toxic environment inside the house so i was always looking for ideas to get out from the house and just you know play outside <laughs> so i was always after school outside and it really improved my mood and my happiness to just go and explore the neighborhood uh, explore other areas be more curious and just you know talk to the people you know in the, in the supermarket or talk to someone just you know hear their stories or playing outside so that definitely shaped my personality because sometimes you as a kid when you play outside you get exposed to a lot of um challenges uh, and uh, you need to be very smart creative and if something dangerous happened you need to run so you need to really be responsible for what for what i was doing outside and i really had this great experience in when i was living in morocco because i was near the nature and the beach so that's really uh, um, affected my my mood and my happiness and it really helped me to uh, not pay attention to what's happening inside the house and just really be in my creative space and live my happy childhood even if i was going out alone actually in in the beach and at eight or nine years old but i really loved loved that these times where i was just you know playing outside and and exploring more myself yeah Thank you for that. You know, you reminded me there of when we were kids and whenever there'd be an adult discussion going on, 
I don't see as much of this now, but when we were kids, this is how it was. If there was an adult discussion going on, all the children would be sent away and the adults would say, go away, go and play. Um, and I think that's it, maybe it's missing a lot now because I think kids spend a lot more time in the house and around adults, um, even when stuff's going on that's not ideal. And Matilda, what were your play, your childhood play experiences, and how did that hey, impact uh, you? Hey, one one second, let me just hop in here. A comment here from Naomi Powell Brown. Uh, being in a large family for me was great. I was second to the I was second to last child and definitely one thing i craved was longing to be on my own now i love my own company so it's probably a comment there uh, as in line with what matilda was saying before yeah uh, definitely definitely mm -hmm. mm, i don't have a lot of <clears throat> i don't think i had a lot of nature i mean because i grew up in tehran it's a very busy city um it's the capital city and so I, I, I lived in an apartment. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm very happy in New York because in a way it reminds me of Tehran. That's what I'm used to, a concrete city. Um, but, you know, I had a lot of plate dates, as was mentioning it. My mom made sure that I was always surrounded with people, with friends, with, uh, with gatherings. So... Um, Maybe I've learned how to be a social butterfly because of that times. I don't know. But my playtime were Barbies with girls around my age or guys around my age. Nothing in nature that much, unless I'm traveling somewhere. Yeah. Simon, what about you? What kind of play experiences did you have as a child growing up in a child, children's home? I'm sure you had some adventures there. Yeah. Before I uh, jump, jump in, um, Nathaniel Mitchell says, Nelson, he's not paying attention. Nathaniel Mitchell says, big people talk little ears, shouldn't listen, was what I was told as a young one. That was in reference to your comment, uh, Carla, yeah. where children are sent away. I think it's a great idea, send the children away, go and play, go and play outside in the road if you have to. You're not staying in here. <laughs> um, children's, home was, children's home was interesting because um, Obviously, there's a pecking order. You're not all the same age. You're there from, well, I was youngest, six months, one years old, up to 16, ready age to leave. There was a lot of people. This is the 70s. So there wasn't like four people to a house. There was one room, six bounce beds, that kind of thing. Everybody shoved in a bit like the old Oliver Twist in that respect. But yeah, you, you played, you learned who to play with, who not to play with who to get out the way of and all those kind of things. As a young young person, you're kind of left alone because you're really young. Um, but then you get moved from different children's homes. So um, different children's homes, different experiences. And with children's home, you're not all the same race. You're not all the same religion. So you've got to learn to deal with all of that. And then when I finally got fostered and adopted, you drop down to whoever you're fostered and adopted with, which in my case was uh, my birth sister. But then it was like, okay, we may play, but in those, also we're moving to the 80s, we just played in the street. So our community became our friends. So you was always out and you was learning and great experience um, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that's, that's about it on the play front, I think. With Matilda's inching, go on, Matilda. I'll finish my bit later. Yeah, because I've been uh, what you just said, uh, Simon. It's fascinating. You have a very big advantage on over a lot of people. I think most of the people in the world. The um, the the fact that you were growing up with so many people from different backgrounds, from different cultures, from different religions, from different personalities, that gives you. Um, I mean, this is like a 10 PhDs will teach you how to behave around people, how to understand people, how to, um, you know, navigate your life in that jungle. Uh, something that, for example, I never had, and I had to learn it in a hard way, or some of us in the, I mean, I don't know about the Victor, but, you know, um, it's amazing. You're, I think, for me, that's very fascinating. But what what is interesting is that when I was spending my time in Kenya in East Africa, 
I noticed that certain parts, minus the very wealthy parts where they live in massive compounds and high walls, but the average person, let's say, um, is still a very community uh, attitude. There's a saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Uh, Victor will know this. And um, that's, so you, you see the community is like, you know, you're playing, they're playing with each other, they're doing their different things, they're learning. Okay, it's generally all one culture or different tribes that they're mixed. So in their eyes, it's lots of different cultures, very cosmopolitans. In our eyes, it's probably just, you'll just see one race of people. It depends on how you look at it. But um, it's that same experience. So I understand what you're saying, Matilda. There is a, I never really looked at it like a PhD, two <laughs> PhDs, but yeah, yeah, you, you carry those skills, you learn and you develop. And I, one thing I will say is that you see very quickly who's weak and you see very quickly who don't want to be. Do you understand? So, and you see quickly how to get over, um, how to get, get over certain hurdles. Because whether you're learning from your own experience or other people's experience, but you know, you could say, if you ever see those movies of prison, like in America, use an example, where it's a navigation um, in those things. It's, it's probably very, very much the same, but just ideally no rapings and murders. <laughs> in that I respect, think right now, at this, at this time of the world, uh, learning people skills is the most important skill because anything you do in life is between people. And once you have that, which you have, that makes you, um, you know, now I want to be, I want to have your childhood. <laughs> okay, well, okay, on, on that note, um, all right, so Matilda wants to have Simon's childhood. All right, so uh, just going back to a comment here, Nathaniel Mitchell, big people talk literally or should have listened to what uh, he says, what I was told when I was a young one. And you're talking about experiences and kids. Um, you know, my childhood, part of it was in South America, in Colombia. And um, and there's a certain side of my family, I guess you could say, was very uh, kind of less leftist, Che Guevara, uh, idolized Fidel Castro. And, uh, and then I had the upbringing in the US. But it was interesting for me to have both of those growing up because I, I think it made me very well-rounded because I could, you know, talk about the great things about this side, you know, the Che Guevara, Fidel Castro, uh, you know, uh, Gamal Nasser there in, uh, in Egypt and, you know, all these guys were like people that were in the household figures. And then in the U.S., it was a totally different set of group of people. Um, and you talk about the experiences growing up. So that for me, that, that was like big people conversation. But later on, I got a lot of benefits out of it as an adult. You know, um, yeah, um, it, it made life easier. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I think what you're exposed to in terms of the cultural things is also an important thing. And I just want to go back again around to everybody actually to speak about the culture that they come from and what things about their culture maybe impacted them in positive ways and what things they had to... Matilda mentioned about therapy, what things they might have had to go through therapy for as they've grown up to improve themselves, because not everything from our cultures is positive, is it? Uh, Victor, can we hear from you? What what in your culture was positive and shaped you in a good way? And what things did you have to kind of reprogram yourself as, as you got older to get before, rid of? Before J Victor jumps in there, um, I will say my experience to why I was in the children's home I'm 44 now. I don't. I don't look it. But um, <laughs> it's taken me many, many years to accept the fact of why I was there, and who and what was to blame. And um, I think in, in acknowledging that, it makes you a much stronger person. It makes you more enlightened because you can't change your circumstances good or bad yeah. you can only um only improve and you yeah. can improve in such a way that if other people are going through the same thing and they hear what you have to say it will make them stronger because as um our mentor one of our mentors when we came all came together as a podcasters on the course said we have a duty our life is our experience and we have a duty to um 
inform, share our experiences in a way to make other people strong. And I, that will um, that will go with me. My, my family's all, all over this today. <laughs> uh, that, that will go with me to my grave that, um, you know, you need to accept your circumstances. You need to acknowledge. And even if somebody was weak and you think they could have done better, you actually just need to look at it and say, all right, they didn't know, innit? They didn't. So, so, so what are you going to do now? Yeah, right, absolutely. Right, right, and Nathaniel is saying that's very true, Simon. Um, so he agrees with you there, and I agree with you. We we didn't have the same kind of experience of childhood, but we had some similarities. I think you and I we talked about this in our group before about our childhoods and how they affected us. But I think um, with me as well, I grew up without a mother, and my and we had addiction as an issue in our family. And I, I lost count of the times that I heard people say, even when I was as young as seven, eight, nine, ten years old, um, that we, as children, me and my siblings, wouldn't turn out to be anything good. And I remember actually hearing that. I remember hearing people say, oh, you know, kind of shake their head and, and almost write us off as people because of our experiences. And actually, we managed to do just what Simon said, which is to not only to turn it around, but to recognize it and to accept it so that we could then decide and make choices about what kind of people we were going to be. Um, and so uh, thanks for mentioning that, Simon. And thank you, Nathaniel, for um, your support of that. Right, let's jump back over to Victor um, to talk about what kind of things might have um, shaped him so, in a good way. So, Carla, I just want to add in one thing. If you look at the people who have been made a major change to the world, who've come from children's home, orphanages, or disadvantaged. Steve Jobs is a prime example. His mother gave him up at birth. Okay, he got fostered or adopted, but he was disowned. Armenian, look, look. Armenian mother adopted him. Okay. Yes, to Armenian. <laughs> and his father is Syrian, so. Okay, okay. Yes. Yeah, but point being, look at, look at the change you left in the world. Mac Apple is a household name. Everybody's probably got something Apple. If you know all six of us here, I guarantee we've got something Apple in our facility. You know, so it, it shows you how great you can be. And he became the richest man on the planet. You know, you got you got to really that's major things. But sorry, Carla. Yeah, but that's really good. Thank you for for that, Simon. It's really good for parents because sometimes parents give themselves a hard time, and in fact, people give parents a hard time, which makes them give themselves even more of a hard time um, by making them think that everything has to be perfect and guilt tripping them into thinking that if they're not perfect, their children are going to be messed up. Um, and also, sometimes people do believe the stories that if something happens to you, it defines who you are. Um, and we are here. The message we're giving you is that it doesn't have to. Um, okay, Victor, what in your childhood shaped you in a positive way and what things did you have to get yourself um, reprogrammed for? Yeah, just like just like um, what Simon did just now, two things Simon did just now, conflict resolution. You see, because when I was growing up in a large family, I know how to take turns and when Simon jumped in twice just now, I'm like, okay, I can allow that. That is what you get from being in a huge family because you know everyone has the right to have their own fun. So, so, so you see something like that. So have, uh, what's it called? Negotiation skills. Okay. So, and, and also the safety, safety numbers. When we fight, we fight together. Okay. And we love, we love together. So um, I'm, I'm not sure. I can't actually pin. Uh, I can actually pinch or put my finger on one thing that I, I need. Um, I need to get a therapy on. Yeah, I can't actually pinch, put, put my finger on one thing that I need a therapy on right now. But was there anything that you grew up and realized that you weren't so strong in maybe as a result of your upbringing or as a result of your family that you had to work on yourself and, and kind of build that trait in yourself because it wasn't there before. Um, speaking out for myself. Yeah. Just like, I mean, it's self-development yeah. terms. 
Yeah, like that's me, I was very introverted and I had a very small personality. And that came from being brought up as an introvert in a household, which was a Jamaican household. And one of the characteristics without stereotyping of Jamaican households is there are lots of people with big personalities. Um, there's lots of noise, lots of music, lots of color in our culture. And mm. growing up around that as someone who was very quiet and liked to read and stuff, sometimes that was a challenge for me. And I had to learn as I grew older to be more assertive and to kind of step forward, otherwise I wouldn't get a word in because there'd be all these characters that would be jumping forward first. Um, and I and I think that for me was something that I really had to work on over the years, just to have my own space and my own voice. Um, so was there anything similar? Um, yes, yes, yes. For you? Similar because I I was I not I was I am the oldest child of my mom, so I'm expected to take care of my younger ones. So I always allow them to do this first. Okay, you take this first, take this first, be on the first front to like. But now, in the past couple of years now, I've been trying to like say, you know what? I am important now. Let me take care of myself. Now take care of my immediate environment, my immediate family right now. So I had to like start putting myself first instead of lining my younger one before me. So I had to like reprogram myself, reprogram my mind and also, um, this podcast journey right now has really made me to be more outspoken, more assertive in certain conversations, in certain situations. And I am very grateful for that. Okay, right. So um, we're going to start getting ready to wrap up this episode now, guys. So I'm going to go around. I know Nelson is going to share something and then we'll go around for any final thoughts on the topic of does your childhood define you? Nelson, jump yeah, in. Uh, yeah, two things. One is what uh, Victor was saying about, you know, when you're the oldest, you always got to look out for someone else. And uh, I always remember having a look out for my brother, my sister. Uh, I mean, I remember my brother, he, he brought this up. I Maybe it was a memory, memories I kind of just blocked out. But most of the fights I got into as a kid, and when you grew up in Brooklyn, those fights were fucking brutal, okay? Um, I mean, I remember throwing other kids through a window, like, bam! Um, and um, yes, don't let the quiet uh, Nelson deceive you because um, I just had enough of that shit. So, and I remember my brother talking about that. He says, you know, your fight was always to stand up for us. And um, <clears throat> so that was, uh, that was like, you know, kind of like didn't want to put that. But then, you know, kind of saying, you know, now I can kind of focus on me uh, and take care of myself. And I remember thinking, you know, I wish I had a big brother, a big sister, someone who would like take up for me. And I ended up creating this like family to the point where a friend of mine said, you know, other people adopt kids, Nelson adopts siblings, you know? <laughs> so I actually went out and I found somebody said, you will be my big sister. You will be my big sister to the point now where her parents are like, well, Nelson's like, part of the family because you I wanted a, I wanted a sister like this person and I want a big brother and an uncle like this person so I like grabbed all these people and plugged them like plug and play into my life as um, as family members um, so uh, so that was something and then finally be able to say you know what I don't have to take care of look after someone else make sure that they're fed or taken care of uh, or do all these things so, uh, so yeah, so uh, Victor reminded me of that. And it's not something I normally talk about. Yeah, that's interesting, actually. And that whole big sister, small sister, big brother dynamic, it's not always that clear, actually, because when I was a kid, I was the eldest, but I wasn't the, the strongest or the one that everybody would go to for protection. That was my sister. She's the middle. And she's still, to this day, she's the one that protects everybody in our family. Um, and actually, she would have been better as the big sister because this comment actually up on the screen was from me. Um, I was once left home alone with my brothers and sisters. And like I said, they wouldn't listen to me because I was just this quiet person. And they're just like, <laughs> listen to her. She doesn't know anything. She's a bookworm. And my brother was swinging a stick in the house. And my dad was like super strict. Anyone out there who knows about Jamaican old school parents, he was just like so strict. We couldn't get away with anything. But my brother decided to bring a stick in the house and swing it round. And he smashed a fish tank. And I don't mean one of those little fish tanks that's like a bowl. I don't know, anyone who grew up in the UK in the 80s or 90s will know those huge fish, fish tanks that were like... The, know, aquarium, the aquarium. Yes. The um, aquarium, my brother yeah. smashed it 
and it smashed right down the front and water was just pouring out of the fish tank onto the floor. And it was just the most horrible experience because I was to blame, of course, because I was the big sister and I was supposed to control him. But I, my dad didn't realise that when he was out the house, they just would dismiss anything I would say. <laughs> so it's not always good to be the big sister or big brother as well. Okay, Matilda, any final thoughts on how your childhood defined you or anything you'd like to share with the audience? Um, I think, I mean, it doesn't matter what happened in your childhood. I think you need to go to a therapy <laughs> to, you know, maybe clear certain things out, certain misunderstandings, or not therapy, maybe some uh, group classes or some, the, the thing that you have to work on yourself because really your childhood defines who you are, how you look at life and how you perceive life. And if you have certain hiccups, I don't know, thinking, oh, you're not the best or you cannot learn because your parents will keep saying, oh, you're not gonna understand this or you don't do this or you cannot do that, for example. Lots of people are struggling with that nowadays with self-esteem. All of it comes back to your childhood. So I think put the time, go inside. Maybe it will be painful, but it's worth it. Go heal yourself and become the best human that you can be for yourself, let alone for other people. But um, you need to heal around your childhood traumas. Yeah, thank you for that, Matilda. That's very you. <laughs> That's a coffee with Matilda right there. Howla, what would you say to that? Or what would you like to add? Unmute yourself, Howla. I do agree with Matilda actually because it's a really journey to self and once you fix the broken things inside you, um, you live a fulfillment life and it's never too late to have a brighter future and a better future despite the events that you had uh, in your childhood. So I think that we all have gone through difficult events in our childhood and it's okay to talk about it to a specialist or someone who could understand and not to anyone because no one could uh, relate to you the same way as someone professional to, to help. Yeah, also brilliant advice. Thank you for that, Howler. So anyone who's out there listening that's struggling with any issues, don't be afraid to reach out to professional people for help. It's really important to help you to grow. Simon, final words of wisdom on this topic. Does your childhood define you? Um, in relation to what Matilda was saying, I wouldn't say it's about therapy. I know Matilda retracted her statement, but I think it's just living your life. If you find a hurdle, then you deal with that hurdle. Um, because you don't know really what you're dealing with. You don't know. It's like trauma doesn't... I, I'm not, I know we're short on time, but to give you an example, when we left the military and we're doing the decompression week or a couple of days, the, the, the officer, Padre, he gave us a speech and he said, when you go home to your girlfriends, she said, you're going to make love to them. And you're going to spoon for hours and hold them and whisper in their ear and tell them they're nice. You're not going to get drunk. You're not going to beat the wife. You're not going to kick the kids or, or neglect the kids and kick the dog. And what he was talking, we found it very amusing, but what he was saying is this is what you've gone through manifests in these typical ways. But if you're not told how it's manifesting, you don't know. So you think you're all right. So that's why I say it's more of a case of, when something occurs, if you come to a hurdle in life, then ideally you find somebody you can talk to or just trying to adjust yourself if you can. Um, preferably somebody that's a pay a little money. <laughs> but yeah, I just see it as like, you don't know what's there until it manifests. And when you manifest, you find the best way to deal with it with the tools that you've got because we can't all afford therapists. And some people... Um, ex-military, what we found is it's better to have other military people you can just talk to because they understand that I'm the same way. It's a bit like a woman who's been raped. She talks to another woman. She can't talk to a bloke. Even if it's, you know, a holy person as a bloke, you still talk to a woman because there's more empathy, more understanding, more reassurance. And, and that's what I would say. I'd say, yeah, it def definitely does define you, but it doesn't make you. 
Yeah, and that's another good point there as well, is it doesn't always need to be a therapist. It can be anybody that can listen or hold space for you or support you. So thank you for that, Simon. And actually, all of us need to maybe pay more attention, I would say, to the children that we know around us, whether they're family, neighbours, you know, all of us have access to children at some point. And if we can be those people for children as well that we have access to, that is really helpful. Um, Victor? Um, yes, I'll say that again. Yes, it, do, it surely defines you. and um, But it doesn't have to detect who you become. So I'll just say these three sentences. Accept whatever childhood you have ask for help, and start telling yourself better stories. That's what I have to say. I love that. Those are really nice comments. And Nelson, you're going to wrap it up for us tonight. What would you say? What are your final words? Oh, my goodness. Well, we covered so much. Um, you know, what uh, what Matilda was saying, you know, we're, we went to kind of the therapy side, and, and then Simon said, uh, like Simon said, the uh, being able to talk to people that have shared experiences, um, and then Victor, um, you know, what, what Victor just shared is tell yourself better stories. So I, I guess the thing I'd like to say is one is if we have some bad memories, right, or bad childhood experiences or not the best and uh, they're there, uh, at the same time, we should also give credit to those experiences because those experiences are also the strengths and great things that we have. So if some of them weren't so good, well, some of them weren't so good, and we can tell ourselves better stories about them. At the same time, being able to give uh, credit to those experiences because those experiences are the uh, help us on the good things and the good uh, strengths that we have as well. Yes, and that's a great point to finish on. So we're going to thank all our parents, our families, grandparents, siblings for all the experiences that we had. Um, good and bad and indifferent that shaped us into the people that we become today. So that's it for another episode. Uh, thank you to my lovely co-hosts and lovely Podcasters Unleashed team. And um, we'll be back again for another episode of Podcasters Unleashed next week, same time, same place. So catch us then. And thank and you for our audience. Thank you very much to all of the people that came in and added their comments and insights and questions on this topic. We really appreciate you all as well. And uh, I just want to throw in a great big uh, thank you, Matilda. Uh, she's got COVID and, and she's, a, she's a trooper. So there you go, Matilda. Uh, we're in the process of making you a Royal Marine or an or a, or a Army Commando. Okay, so thank you. Yeah. Okay, thank you, guys. And until next time, see you. Bye.